Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. All these girls gonna be in the league? Hello, gorgeous. Female fight club. All men must die, but we are not men. Damn it, Kristen! What do you think happened to Karen? Lauren. Girl, her name is Kimberly. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 45 of Citizen Dame, the podcast where we were so exhausted from talking about how men are assholes last week that we literally realized we didn't have an agenda. (laughs) (laughs) So maybe this will be a a little bit. This will be a nice lyrical uh, episode. I'm assuming filled with laughter, hopefully. Um, As always, I'm Kristen Lopez here with Karen Peterson. Hello. Lauren Humphreys Brooks. Hello. And Kimberly Pierce. Hello. And let's see, where do we want to start on the magical board? We have no garbage people to talk about. I mean, oh my we, God. Could, we could talk about some developments, but who wants to do that? You know what? Sweetness and light is the uh, m- motto of this week's episode. We so, so love bad. it. Yes. Um, let's talk about the oldest thing, I think, which is Movie Pass. I want to talk about it really briefly. Um, so Movie Pass had a bit of a meltdown last week, if you didn't know, um, where they were putting surge pricing on every show. Then they were taking shows off and saying that movies were not playing at that theater, even though we all knew they were. Um, you could not see Mission Impossible Fallout last week if you had Movie Pass. Uh, many people, including me, canceled in frustration, and Movie Pass effectively ghosted everybody up until. Uh, the other day when they released an email saying that they were very, very sorry. Um, they were going to start making changes to save money, including limiting um, the movies you could see during the time of day. Certain new releases were not going to be able to be movie pass eligible at all within the first two weeks. Oh, and they also were going to raise prices, but they didn't announce that. So we all know they're going to raise prices. They're going to raise it to fourteen ninety five a month, but they still haven't told people that. Um, and there was a really great article, and I can't remember who it was by or where it is, but I know, I think it was for, like, Vox or io9 or something, um, where they were talking about how a lot of this model is to sell MoviePass info to advertisers. And how they want... I don't think it was Joey. Well, it, he it didn't was write an email. article, but he said... Oh, okay. It was a, yeah, was it was a, it was a woman it. writer. Um, okay. I can't remember who it was. I, I will find it before the show notes go up. Uh, but they were talking about essentially making it so that studios would have to partner with them to get the movie to play opening weekend. Um, so, like, say Mission Impossible Fallout had paired with MoviePass and paid them, then they would have promoted the movie on their site, and you could buy discounted tickets or, you know, no surge pricing or, or get it within the first week. Um, and a lot of the article that I read said this was a, a big gamble because it's implying MoviePass thinks they have a lot more clout than they might have. Um, either way, you know, I'm, I'm one of those. I need transparency. And if you go radio silent in social media um, and there's no way to use something. Um, and, and as of right now, I've heard from people that say you can't use your movie pass depending on where you're located. Some some theaters still say there's no movies eligible. Um, I think they need to really do something and set the ship right. If that means upping the price, fine. I mean, that's fine. But you need to tell people that well in advance and not send them a bunch of stuff that says we're going to do this and this and this and this and then three months later, oh, and by the way, we're going to up your pass. Yeah, I mean, 
I do think that they handled this really poorly. Um, I think that there are a lot of mistakes that were made, but I think that, you know, this is, I think one of the problems here is that they weren't prepared for the growth. I don't know why they thought that it wouldn't go crazy when they're offering, you know, all the movies you want to see basically for 10 bucks a month. And, but at the same time, watching people just be so like giddy over watching it collapse when it has been a huge benefit for so many people is it's been weird. Yeah. I, I yeah, I didn't feel comfortable with the responses that the, the customers had too. It was just like, you've been getting a lot out of this. Now you're dancing on their grave before it's even dug. Yeah. I, I was very sad to cancel mine. Um, and you know, that's, I, I would never wish it to die because I think it's the wave of the future. Like we like being able to pay a set amount and then getting something for free. That's kind of what we've, we've grown to love. So it's really only a matter of time. The, the question I had, and we all get into movies as critics at varying levels is there was a comment that was saying people who are critics can't complain about movie pass because we get to go see movies for free. And I thought that was, yes, there have been critics who have been like hoping movie pass would die. But I think that statement too is incorrect because we all get into screenings at limited. I mean, not everything screens for starters we we often have to go for work. I mean, we don't, yes, yeah. we go to movies because we enjoy them, but, you know, some movies we just don't go see because we don't want to write about them, but we still want to go see them. So I don't think it's a one-size-fits-all statement. Well, true, well, but also, sorry. No, go on. Well, also, the thing is, like, for me, if I see a movie that, like, at a screening, and I'm like, man, I really like this, then I like to go see it again if I can, and MoviePass has made that much easier to continue to support a film after I've already seen it at a press screening. Right. Yeah, well, you know, and I, I'm speaking as someone who has, has got, I get the weirdest invitations. <laughs> like, I get I get some things for, for much larger independent films, but I don't get anything for the big franchises, so... I'm like a, you know, I'm kind of middle of the road critic in terms of that, but um, it, it is worth pointing out that critics are are being asked to work, right? You don't get, you don't just get to go to movies for free and then that's it. Like that's, it's not an audience participation thing. You go to a movie for free and you write about it. That's the expectation. That's the agreement that you're making with the studio. Um, at the same time, I totally like. I understand the anger because I have seen a lot of critics, particularly high-profile critics, um, people that are making their living being film critics, acting with this sort of glee, this excitement that movie pass is dying. And it's just like, guys, you know, you're the same ones that are talking about the death of the theatrical experience and how streaming is ruining and ruining everything. It's like, I. You know, I live in a big city. I live in a city where the lowest ticket prices are fifteen dollars, and the highest, you know, if you get if you get up to IMAX and premium pricing, are twenty three, right? And that's insane. That's now that's something I can't afford, and I'm a fairly comfortable, you know, middle class person. And that's not saying anything about you know all of the many many people who simply are like, I can't afford to go to a movie for seventeen dollars, plus concessions, plus everything else, and so. Something like MoviePass 
is what is enabling people to actually go see those films. And not just to go see Mission Impossible Fallout, but to also be like, you know what, I'm going to take a chance on uh, this independent film that I'd heard good things about, but I didn't have the money to go see. You know, things like Blind Spotting and Sorry to Bother You and um, all of the documentaries that have been playing at smaller repertory theaters in major cities, like those those have opportunities to be to actually get make money and to get seen by a lot of different people. So celebrating or in some way enjoying the death of a um, of a program that actually enables more people to see more movies just seems one incredibly elitist, incredibly out of touch. And also just kind of gross. It's it's like so so you basically want only people who have the the capital, either have the capital or get the invitations to be able to watch these films. Like I mean that's that's the death of independent cinema right there. Kim? Well and I I just I would echo that because I mean I am not a movie I did not have movie pass, so I really didn't have a stake in any of this discussion. But yeah, the any glee surrounding the downfall of that. I mean, I'd say, especially, I mean, those of us film critics who, I mean, those of us who aren't getting paid for it, we're here because we love cinema. And I would think, you know, if you're getting paid to do it, if you somehow became, somehow managed to find your way into a full-time paying film critic gig, you must, I I would think, like movies at some level. Why would we want to, why would we want to keep people from the enjoyment of the experience? To me, this ties into, like Lauren was just saying, kind of this, this streaming argument as well. If it's making these movies accessible to everyone and letting everybody dive in and see not just you know i mean i I mean i'm in denver we get we have one or two tiny kind of we have one or two art house movies so we get it at some level but you know some parts of the country don't necessarily have that level of exposure if there's a program that lets you get not just the avengers and the star wars movies but lets you get the opportunity to go see these smaller, more independent films, why would we want to keep people from that? It's just, we should be supporting people's opportunity to see these films and not, you know, climbing off our elitist high horses. Yeah, there, there's a cultural elitism that is going on underneath all of this. And I don't know whether it's intentional or if it is simply something that the way certain critics look at these things, like they're, they're out of touch. They're not noticing the fact that movie ticket prices are $17 in some places. And, you know, even in, in, the, the area that my parents live in, right, which is upstate New York, so they're not getting major films or major um, independent films. They're they're getting all of the kind of franchises. Um, but even then, the regular ticket prices are ten fifty, right? So if you if you look at something like Movie Pass, that if they go to one movie a month with Movie Pass, they they are doing better. So they're going to more movies. They're watching more films. They're seeking out more films that I recommended to them because they're like, hey, we actually have an opportunity to do this and it's not costing us an arm and a leg. Um, but I, I do feel like that there is an elitism going on that there that some of these critics want to keep movies for the, the privileged, um, movies for the people who get them, right? And that includes, and that means the people that can afford to pay for them. 
uh, and there it's it's ugly, and I don't like it, and I don't like seeing that getting played out on on Twitter or things like that, where where people are just talking about this as though. Um, you know, who cares? No, this, this will kill the theatrical experience. The theatrical experience has to change because people can't afford to pay for it anymore. Exactly. And that's one thing that's been driving me crazy for a long time is you've got theaters that are trying to do all these, you know, all these extra things to try to, like, justify their high prices. Like, oh, sure, it costs $18 to see this movie, but you can sit in a seat that is a recliner and it also has a warmer and we have this full bar and all these things. And it's like, yeah, those amenities are all nice, but I'm going to the theater because I want to enjoy the movie. Not necessarily because I need all this extra fancy stuff. I'd rather pay eight or $9 to see a movie in a not that great chair, you know, just a regular theater chair than pay $18 for one film. And so there are lots of other ways this, that that theaters should be looking at how to improve the experience and drive customers back in their doors. And I think MoviePass was a big help for that. I this, would this pay... This is the future. Yeah. Yes. I would pay $20 a month. I, you know what? No, I'm going to be crazy. I would pay... $45 a month, okay? If I could sit in a movie theater at the top of the fucking theater, okay? There you go. Just just saying. <laughs> we all want to complain about how we need amenities and a full bar and we need to be able to get drunk at the movie theaters. I would pay big fucking money just to be able to sit in a different part of the theater and not the three seats that you're legally allowed to offer me, okay? I'm just saying, movie theaters. But, you know, but that's, that's a good point. That's a good point, because it basically says that all of these theaters are like, oh, we have all of these amenities. It's just like, we don't want these amenities. We want to be able to sit in a chair of our choosing, right, and watch a movie and not have it break the bank. That is not a lot to ask. Exactly. Like, what you're asking for, Kristen, is bare, is like the barest bones. They're just like, and you can't even give us that. Right. Yeah, you know, it's the other day I was at the theater. I was at a theater, and I was ever since, like, Kristen, you've really opened my eyes to a lot of this stuff, and, um... I try. Yeah, well, (laughs) well, I'm just saying, like, with me, it's worked, (laughs) and not that I have any power to fix this, but, but I, I mean, I think I've, I've, I mean, I've always known this, but I don't think I've ever really paid a lot of attention to it, but the other day, I was at the theater, and someone came in, they were in a wheelchair, and I was really looking at, like, there is nowhere else in the theater for them to sit except for way down in the front. That can't yep. be comfortable. Like, that's not... I don't like to sit that close if I can avoid it. Like, that's not cool. Theaters really do need to do better. Well, and that's that's kind of been my problem with this whole movie pass and the changes that theaters are making. It's this whole concept of we're giving you more option. We're giving you more choice. Actually, you're not. You're giving able-bodied people more of an option and more of a choice you're not you're assuming that everybody is equal and that's great that's great but everybody's not because of restrictions in the theater that are created and that are not considered a business savvy problem worth fixing and that's kind of my thing like if i want to go see a movie It's all reserved seating, but really I'm reserving a space, which I find to be offensive on so many levels. Like, really, if somebody can bring in their their um, 
like lawn chair and camp that, okay, I would I would understand. But what you're saying is, is I'm paying for open air and a place to park myself, and I'm not being given an option for a seat as, unless I want to sit in the very, very front. Uh, so that's kind of my thing. Is I'm like, you know what? I wouldn't need booze or top sirloin hot dogs or whatever the hell you're offering. Just let me be able to sit in the center of the theater. You know what? Let's do something like weird and unusual. That would be really cool. And I pay for that. I would pay for that. Just saying, well, I'm, I'm teaching movie theaters how to make money. <laughs> you know, I, I noticed this the other day. Uh, I was at one of my favorite movie theaters in the city, and it's actually, it's all on one level. So all of the seating is, um, there's a slight slope, but, you know, there's right. no stairs and nothing like that. And I, I tend to notice these things both because of you and because my, my mother is in a wheelchair, and so I'm always on the lookout, like, can I take my parents to this? Um, and one of the things that I saw is that even though it's all on one level, the only places that are, like, set aside for disabled people and for people in wheelchairs, right, are at the very, very back of the theater or at the very, very front of the theater. And you could not park, say, a wheelchair in the middle of the theater because it would be literally in the middle of the aisle. Like, that is the only place. So you either have to sit way back. And my mother is short. <laughs> She's yep. tiny. Yeah. So she, I, I'm just like she's not going to be able to see the screen or you want to sit her up at the very front where she's got to lean back just to see what the hell is going on. And it's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. These theaters need to actually invest in, in those kinds of things and to make it comfortable for everybody to go to the movie theater. You know, I don't give a shit if I can buy beer, I give a shit that I can enjoy a movie. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There's exactly. a theater that I've started going to because of Movie Pass, and they actually, it's an older theater, so it's not stadium. It's kind of what you're describing, Lauren. But mm-hmm. they do have a couple of rows in the middle of the theater that are accessible for wheelchairs, and I'm just like, wow, that's really cool. And this is how it should be. Like, they've got the section in the very back, and then they've got a few, like, two or three rows right in the very center that have a couple of spaces for them, and then it would be, like just from the time that I've spent with Kristen, like I, I could tell it would be very easy for you, Kristen, to transfer into an actual seat. And it's, you know, there's plenty of chairs, so it wouldn't be like interfering with anybody else. Future Patreon goal, let us build a movie theater that is actually what people want. <laughs> all people. Exactly. Not, yeah. Universal yeah, it's design is a good thing. Regular, just regular old seats, nothing but popcorn, wheelchair spacing in every row, okay? I cannot be that expensive because we're offering nothing but bare essentials. And a little bit more. Just a little bit more. We don't. And it would be clean. Yes. Yes. We have ideas. Let us become a builder of buildings, okay? (laughs) I know I think the term is architect, but, you know, a builder of buildings sounds more impressive. So... Moving on um, to some things that are also aren't happening. Um, if you are a fan of Ryan Murphy um, and you really had your heart set on feud Charles and Diana, which obviously doesn't know what the word feud means, and I'm still irritated about it. Um, sorry, it's not going to happen. Um, so apparently um, FX did their big um, discussion during the TCA and – Uh, announced that right now it's no longer going forward because according to Ryan Murphy, the material was not as strong as he he wanted it to be. 
That's not to say that it's not going to happen, but it's just not going to happen right now. And what's weird is that this was cast. They had Matthew Good and Rosamund Pike playing the leads already. Um, and so they're trying to say the material wasn't up to snuff. Um, I don't know if maybe they couldn't film it based on scheduling. Um, I was leaning towards the fact it wasn't happening because if anybody remembers when he wanted to do um, the Monica Lewinsky story, um, he decided not to do that because he figured it would be in poor taste with Me Too. And I'm wondering if that had something to do with it here because, uh, okay, it's not a feud. Like, that's my problem. It's not a feud. This was an ugly divorce, and there was a lot of nasty stuff on both sides said, and everybody, uh, like, no. So I'm wondering if that had to do with something, just how the concept of, like, sympathizing with Charles was going to play. I don't know if maybe something came down from on high, and, like, I doubt the royal family has, like, power over here, TV here, but, um, I mean, it's also the fact that he's still being sued by Olivia de Havilland over how she was represented in the first feud and maybe he didn't want to deal with living people that could that get pissed at him. I, I was mean, wondering yeah. if he got scared away from because of that. Yeah, it's perfectly possible that the royal family doesn't have control over what is shown and what isn't, but they do have control over things like suing people for libel. Um, and if, if the script plays fast and loose with the actual facts, or even if it doesn't, he can get himself into a lot of trouble. And the royal family is very popular right now. I mean, and ultimately, who's the unsympathetic person in that? The unsympathetic person is going to be Charles. And yeah. Charles is the one who's still around. Yeah, so it's not going to happen. There's still like 18 more Ryan Murphy shows you can watch, but uh, it won't be this one. I'm personally waiting for a few that actually lives up to the Oxford English Dictionary definition of the word. So, yeah. Uh, speaking of Ryan Murphy, though, oh, this, I just learned this this morning. Um, and I actually was a little bit weirdly excited about it, but um, Jessica Lange is coming back for American Horror Story Season 8. Yay! I'm very excited about this. <laughs> she hasn't been on since Season 4, and I love her, and she's amazing. I think the only seasons of American Horror Story I've watched are the first two, I think. Yeah. Same here. Yeah. Which are the, which are the best ones? They get weird. They That's what I've been told. They know how to end a season. They get okay. weird and bad. <laughs> awesome. Um, so we talked about uh, Ryan Reynolds redoing Home Alone with his patented Ryan Reynolds-iness. Well, now we're going to get another dude bro movie about something that sounds interesting, but they probably will make it less so. So it was announced that Ben Affleck and Matt Damon are going to make a movie um, Affleck's going to direct it. It's going to star Matt Damon. It's written by the guys who wrote Deadpool about, um, if anybody's seen the article on the Daily Beast about how, um, a man named Jerome Jacobson, um, defrauded or attempted to rig the McDonald's Monopoly game. <laughs> mm-hmm. The it's story is fascinating. Story, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The story is fascinating. I am a huge fan of McDonald's Monopoly. Um, I will, that's like the only time I go crazy for eating McDonald's is when it's Monopoly time because I collect all those little pieces and I was so close to winning $10,000 one year. Okay. Now so you know clo- why you didn't. Exactly. Yeah. Thanks a lot, dude. Um, I recommend reading the article on the Daily Beast. It'll be in the show notes. Um, but how do we feel about all these people involved making this movie? 
my my initial thoughts are probably the only reason it's happening is because game night works. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, but I mean, game night worked because it was or just irreverent enough. I feel like. This is based on a true story, and it feels like everybody now wants to take a true story and make it Catch Me If You Can. They've been trying for years to, like, recreate the success of that film, and it's never really worked. Um, they don't understand why that film worked. And right. They can't, like, you can't just remake, like, not remake, but you can't just, like, use the same, it's not a formula. People keep trying to make movies like this mathematical equation. Don't tell Hollywood that. that. Oh, That'll I know. hurt their little feel, <laughs> pop their little bubble. Yeah, I know. Uh, as far as this movie with this uh, collection of people involved, I'm sort of indifferent. I think it'll probably be fine. I do think that Affleck um, is a pretty good director. I, I, I would hope that they would tell this story, especially with the Deadpool guys writing. I would hope that this would be more of a comedy, and I'm I'm curious about Affleck directing something that's light uh, and colorful, but I'm I'm still disappointed that they didn't go forward with my idea, which was to gender swap the entire thing and have it directed by Paul Feig. That would have probably worked. That will probably work. Yeah. That would work. Yep. I was I was gonna say when I read all this, I was like, this sounds like a movie Matt Damon's already done like <laughs> ten times, or like. Bradley Cooper would have done. It seems like a very white guy movie. Uh, and, Ed Helms. Yes, Ed Helms. <laughs> oh I'm just gosh. not feeling it. Yeah, I'm not feeling any of this right now. So, it's dude, broy, it's tag all over again. Oh I yeah, mean, that's is, what it is. It's meh. I honestly, dead, dead, Deadpool. It's Deadpool one worked for me. Deadpool two pissed me off. It's like this. Nothing I'm hearing about this excites me in the slightest. I think Affleck needs to try something new. I mean, leaving Batman behind, um, he's probably like, I need something light. And considering that the last time he directed, it was a big old disaster. Um, I mean, Live By Night wasn't a disaster, but it didn't do well. Um, I never did see that. <laughs> it's not terrible. I've, I've seen it. I was I trying to book. think because I forgot about that movie. I was like, Argo was not a disaster. Yeah, I know. Live by night. Um, it's not he's, terrible. He's a white boy. They fail upwards. He'll yes, be okay. Yes. He'll be back up at the Argo level soon. Yeah, if you if you really need to, I mean, yeah, Live by Night's um a, probably a decent adaptation of a book that is incredibly overwrought and overly written. Like it's a it's a really good example of how a movie can actually fix a lot of the book's problems. So and it's beautiful. I mean, it's beautifully you know, costumed and filmed and everything. Um, so I didn't see it as a big old disaster, but nobody saw it but me, apparently. So I can I can understand why he wants to do something different. If this happens, I mean, uh, how many movies have Matt and Ben said they're, they're going to they're gonna make? What happened to that 1970s wife-swapping movie they were going to make? Does anybody remember that? Was that just me? They were gonna do I don't even too. remember that discussion. They were no going to do something about, like, what is it, the Mets? There was, like, something about baseball and wife swapping. They were going to make that movie, and then it never happened. So this might never happen. Um, so let's move on to some trailers. Um, let's, let's get the one out of the way that I know Karen wants to talk about. The trailer for Lizzie. 
This is uh, the movie um, where wherein it looks at the Lizzie Borden axe murders played by Chloe Sevigny and her relationship with Bridget Sullivan played by Kristen Stewart, who is a um, what is it like border in her house or something no, like that. Maid. She's maid. OK, maid, yeah. I haven't seen the movie. Um, so I know I know Karen has, obviously. Um, so Karen's actually quoted in the trailer. Woohoo! Oh, my gosh, you guys, that was the most. It's a real experience. <laughs> I, I'm super proud. It's still on my bucket list. It's still up there with like Mary Army Hammer. Get a pull quote on something. Um, yeah, so that's that's happening. But but um, I mean the trailer looks good. I, I was more excited about Karen's name than anything else. <laughs> <laughs> I'm forever linked to this movie. Uh, you know, it's really funny because I actually this was another 8 a.m. screening up at Sundance. <laughs> But I was more rested when I went to this one than blind spotting, and um, yeah, it was it. It's an. I really thought the movie was well done. I really liked it. I I know I've talked a little bit with you, Lauren, at least about how like it's weird how um, some of the scenes between um, between Lizzie and Bridget are very chaste when they don't necessarily need to be but it i don't know the movie itself it's very it's like a it's one of those slow burn dramas but there's so much happening in the subtext and i i thought it was really good so this is exactly the kind of movie that i i love and i really am looking forward to this one honestly i despite kristen stewart's Irish accent? Is she doing an Irish accent she there? She is, yeah. Bridget Sullivan was Irish, and she actually does a pretty good job throughout, and I'm not a, okay. a case do fan at all. <laughs> so, I mean, I think that she's a good actress. I, I just, the, the Irish accent, I was just like, are you going to be able to maintain that throughout the entire film? Because if you're not, just don't do it. Well, the good thing about it, and I think the reason she was able to, is because of the fact that she doesn't talk a lot. <laughs> <laughs> She's All right. actually pretty quiet. I this looks like a cool and and basically it looks like um but lesbians murdering people. So I'm I'm down for that. Yeah, lesbians yeah. murdering bad men. Mm-hmm. If it's gonna be like heavenly creatures, I'm I'm down for that. This is yeah, this is definitely women triumphing over garbage men. So it's everything that we stand Perfectly for. Perfectly suited for these times. <laughs> exactly. Um, Actually, I can't think about it. It's kind of totally appropriate I got quoted in that trailer. (laughs) Kim, what do you think? I mean, I, it's intrigued me since Sundance. I wasn't able to get to it. Um, And it's still, everything I hear about it intrigues the hell out of me. The trailer didn't pull me in. And I'm not, other than Karen's name, which when I was watching it this morning, I was like, yay. But there's just something about it. I don't know if it was pacing or Maybe it's I, I was having a visceral reaction to case stew. I mean, I've never been a fan. I, the trailer didn't convince me, but that does not mean I'm not going to be going to see it because I've been I've that story fascinates me. I'm usually a sucker for stuff like that. So I'm intrigued, but this trailer didn't do it for me. Well, the movie comes out September 14th, so only a short time and then we can all judge it and see if Karen's pull quote is accurate or not. <laughs> we will be judging partially. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, Karen liked this. Well, 
Exactly. And one uh, of my friends was like, now people are going to say, like, we got to listen to her. She knows what she's talking about. I'm like, unless everybody hates the movie. <laughs> See, this is why they just need to put all my quotes on certain stuff, because I say weird shit about things. Not all your quotes, Kristen. Uh, not all my quotes, well, all of my quotes could be very funny, okay? Like, it would just be me trying really hard to say something, they would just totally take them out of context, okay? <laughs> See, I'm, I'm totally seeing they should have trailer for Sorry to Bother You. I want to marry Army Hammer, you know? Yeah, Army Hammer you know, in a sarong, five over- stars! <laughs> <laughs> You can just see the the pull quote for Sucker Punch. It's okay if you just watch the Oscar Isaac scenes. <laughs> I could do it. Um, so moving on to a movie that I'm sure is going to be amazing. Um, the first trailer for the new Barry Jenkins Academy Award winner Barry Jenkins film, uh, If Beale Street Could Talk, came out. Um, this is the adaptation of James Baldwin's novel about a woman in Harlem trying to prove her fiance innocent of a crime while carrying their first child and it's got an amazing cast i mean regina king's in here um it's got uh amazing group of people that i'm looking at everybody's like filmography trying to be like ooh, that person's there um so i'm interested in this it's it looks beautiful i mean this trailer is like a work of art yeah i totally agree i Diego Luna is in this movie. Okay, I see. I'm just like looking through IMDb, being like, that person's here. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, it was a. It, it's funny to me when they start calling movie te- movie trailers teasers when they're two minutes long. But yeah, this was it's a billed trip. as yeah yeah exactly. But this was billed as a teaser, and it definitely left me wanting more. Like it made me very. I've been excited for this movie all year long. This was in my top ten most anticipated, and. I have been really looking forward to it, and seeing that trailer just made me think, like, yes, okay, good. This is going to be the movie that I want it to be. And, like, I just, I felt this uh, emotional attachment as I was watching just the trailer, so I'm I'm very excited for it. Yeah, I, I'm there, too. Like, I, I'm willing to watch anything that Barry Jenkins does at this point. Um, and the fact that he's, that his film his first film post moonlight is uh, the ad- an adaptation of a James Baldwin novel. It's just incredibly exciting. A, a novel that I haven't read, so I can't, I wouldn't be able to speak to that, Though I kind of want to read it now. Um, it looks great. Like I'm very excited about it. I hope that um, I hope it's at New York film festival and I hope I get to go see it. <laughs> um, I'd echo. It lo- looks absolutely stunning. I knew nothing about it going into it. Um, short of, I, no, knowing the Barry Jenkins connection, knowing the Moonlight connection, seeing that cast, it was like, damn, this is going to be good. Um, perhaps I think I think I was left wanting more. I got to me, I got very little out of it except for how good it's probably, you know, how good it looked, how good that cast was going to be, the feeling. But I just I wanted to know more details. I mean, uh, it's once again, the trailer left me a little cold, but this one was more of a looking for more than just a meh. Yeah, they had me at the it's bookended with a, a moment between Kiki Wayne and Regina King that was like, I need this movie. <laughs> I, I'm into this uh, again. It, it just looks incredibly shot um so i'm i'm into this um so it comes out november 30th so we have questions we have questions from uh some some listeners we're gonna try to answer 
at least one of these to the best of our ability. <laughs> um, so we're going to get the bigger question out of the way. This is from Keith Derrick at KH Derrick. He asks, what are your thoughts on the Trump administration looking into revising the results of USB Paramount? Do you think studio stream services like Disney's upcoming service should be subject to the ruling in a modern age of cinema and film delivery methods? So I'm going to admit I don't know what he's talking about. Uh, USB Paramount's the studio decision, right? That they couldn't own studios and theaters, correct? Yeah, it's, it's an antitrust, anti-vertical um, integration Okay, vertical, so vertical integration. I case. took that to mean like, well, and he drops like the Disney opening up their own. He's basically it's like streaming, comparing studios opening their own streaming services to studios running their own chains of theaters. Yeah, I was unaware that the Trump administration was was looking into. Yeah, this I had missed that too. Yeah, I didn't know potentially they were lifting into it, revising it, or how that what or what they would even want to. do to it and it seems interesting that this administration would want to be involved in anything Hollywood related unless it's to put stricter restrictions on them <laughs> but well, that's my thought well, uh, I mean, remove, removing the antitrust thing would essentially allow that vertical integration system right, again vertical integration system weird. again so, so yeah. you would get movie theaters like so you know especially with the, the was it the Disney Fox purchasing um is it Fox? Yeah, I'm right. Yeah. I'm not crazy. Okay. Uh, so so you would basically get a, a Disney movie theater, right, that only showed films from the Disney or or Fox releases. Yeah. And With, so I was I was thinking if we're th- going off of that by that method through for streaming, because right now most like Hulu, Netflix, um, Filmstruck have deals with multiple studios. So they're not just streaming one thing. Something like Disney, and even even the smaller services like FX and HBO and all of that are dealing with different studios. If Disney was going to release a streaming service that only shows Disney stuff... Which they are. I never, which they are. Yeah, which they are, which they are, yes. I never thought of it as having anything to do with the Paramount decision because it's not as going to a movie theater and having to pay to see, I mean, you're buying a service now where you know it's all Disney and you're okay with that. Maybe that's something that I need to revise my thinking to. Maybe that goes towards Keith's second part of his question, where does that even have any bearing on how modern cinema and film is delivered to us? Where if each studio is, I mean, I'm, I'm of the person that it sounds great on the surface, but if Disney does this, does that then inspire other sites like Warner's um, to be like, well, screw Filmstruck and Netflix and Hulu. We'll just open our own streaming service. But Warner's and, had tried that. Right. And they did. Exactly. And they Warner's did, did that with Warner Archive. Archive. Yeah. Right. It did not mm-hmm. work. I think Disney's the only studio at this point that would be able to do something like that. And based on what I've read about Disney's streaming service, um, it's not going to have R-rated movies. It's going to be strictly for kids and families. Um, and so for me as a, a, you know, a grown woman who does not have children, I'm like, oh, okay, it'd be nice to have, but I don't need it. So because does that mean they're still going to license their soon to be acquired Fox titles to Netflix and, and Hulu and all that? Yeah, because that's... We'll I mean, release that that's, a G-rated Deadpool. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, that's, that is the big question is that when, when you get something like a Disney streaming service or if, 
if um, if any studio did just like their own streaming service, are they going to stop those licenses? So are you not going to be able to get, since Disney owns Marvel, are you not going to be able to get any of the Marvel films on Netflix? And what about so that the would Marvel be my original series? Are those going to yeah. stay on Netflix? I mean that because that that alter that does alter the playing field. I don't know whether that would ultimately be covered by the antitrust uh, by that particular court case. No, it would need um, to be revised. It would have to. I I think there's so many arguments to this. I I completely get his line of thinking, and I understand where this question is coming from. But I have to wonder if just our modern modern cinema you know the the modern industry has changed things somewhat i know personally coming at it from a historian perspective um and you know disney could completely bash my expectations and break my little heart if a disney only you know if disney having their own streaming service gets me reruns of spin and marty and reruns of you know the you know annette funicello and just that kind of that little the little random golden age disney stuff that no one else would have interest in i would be all over that if studios being able to do this gives us more rare interesting content that's in you know buried in their archives that nobody else wants i I would eat i would eat that shit up yeah, well, they I, haven't announced. That's what I've been arguing with people about for since Disney announced this last year. If this is just the hundredth way for me to see Moana, I don't really need it. Exactly. Right. No, I yeah. completely agree. Yeah, it is an interesting question though, and a really valid point that uh, is it Keith is making. Yeah. Um, because it, it reminds me of back in I think it was two thousand nine, the writers' strike that shut down Hollywood for like six weeks and. It led to the death of Pushing Daisies, and I still haven't gotten over that. But um, not the point. Uh, part of the argument and part of that contract dispute was because of writers not being paid for things that were being developed for the web or for other modes of content distribution. And are not being paid equitably, I guess. And so studios were making tons and tons of money off of their work and not paying them accordingly. And so that was a big part of that conversation. And so this feels like it's it's attached to like some similar problems with that issue because we're in a situation where technology is just changing and growing and there are so many different ways. I mean, you can watch a movie on a watch now. Like, I mean... It's just there's so many different ways to do to do these things. And, I mean, it's true. We do have to think about how to keep up with that growth and that change and what is right. And, uh, yeah, I think that this is something that I don't think any of us has, like, a definite answer right now. It definitely takes a lot of considering and, you know, research. But it's definitely a, an interesting situation to to consider and a question to to think about so guys you know what keith's question made me think of just now henry cavill no <laughs> not yet uh, we did not include in the news how they're doing a, lo- a new version of lady and the tramp and you guys all were very oh. upset okay so we're going to talk about this very very briefly so they are going to do live action lady and the tramp for disney streaming okay how so is it's not going to be live action it's going to be real dogs with fake like, people's voices coming out of their mouth. In the same right. way that the Jungle Book and the... Like, yes. Babe. 
and, Jungle and, Book talked, no, didn't it? Uh, no, like Christopher Robin. If anybody's seen that delightful sure. piece of something, I enjoyed it. Um, but no, I, I understood the live the live action thing to be more like how they did Babe, where they used actual real live animals. Either way, they're gonna do it with live in some capacity. Okay, so Kiersey Clemens is gonna be the owner of a lady. Um, so obviously she's gonna be live action. Darling, her name is Darling. Yes, I didn't say we were going to improve. and darling. It, oh, yeah. I didn't say we were going to improve on the original film, okay? <laughs> and Justin Thoreau is going to be the voice of the tramp. Now, of course he is. is I heard that exactly. Justin right. Thoreau, who does not exist. <laughs> who does not exist. He is not a human being. He is a figment of everyone's imagination. I'd be okay with his figment in my imagination. Wait, wait, wait. I'm <laughs> 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 running up really back in high school. I'll figment your imagination. <laughs> There's your pull quote for the movie right there. Okay. Uh, so I, I just had to throw that out there because Lauren and Karen got very upset because apparently Lady and the Tramp is an unimpeachable movie that is amazing. And it is. I saw it. And I watched that so many times I broke the VHS. Yeah, okay. I'm glad I wasn't the only one. Oh, no, no definitely not. Did I miss something as a kid? Because yes. it just bored me. I was bored. I loved it. I you... tried to watch it several times as an adult and as a child, and I'm just like, I'm not getting the movie here. The no, no, this, this, this was a film that I watched over and over and over again to the point that my parents begged me to watch anything else. Same. And I would sit in front of the TV and do all of the voices for the oh, animals. Yeah. Like, I knew everything. Yeah. Miserable being must be more miserable being. Then he's happy. Oh, man. I missed something. Yeah, I you just was definitely like. definitely did. Uh, I, I mean, I got, like, the Bella Note scene. Okay, I get that. That's cute. Kristen just doesn't know joy. It's so true. It's Siamese thing was racist. I knew that as a kid. Yeah, yeah. yeah and I oh, was like, there's, there's a lot of racism in that movie. Oh, yeah, there's, there's a lot of racism in early Disney. So, I mean, this isn't an outlier or anything. But so they're going to remake it. Um, I feel that it's a great example of art imitating life. Justin Thrush is really leaning into his being like a dickish man whore. As we and just I'm look at his of, dating history, and we know where the tramp comes from. I'm totally okay with this. Uh, <laughs> so, he's, he's a tramp, but we love him. So. True. Very true. That's going to be my ringtone, okay? I, I used to say that if Justin Thoreau ever called me, it was going to be, my ringtone was going to be Dua Lipa's New Rules. But now it's just going to be the song from the movie, because um, it just makes sense. So um, it's supposed to come out when the streaming service comes out um, sometime in 2019. And yeah, if you have thoughts about it, I am so glad my mom doesn't listen to this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) My roommate, when I moved in here, my roommate had a dog named Lady, who is very sweet. She's definitely a princess, but she's very sweet. And then a couple years later, she got another dog and his name was dumb when we got him it was not his he was not named dumb but the name that he had was dumb okay (laughs) and i was like no we need to call him tramp and so we have lady and tramp and it works yep (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, so between, we have one other... between that news, the ALF reboot, and the Facts of Life reboot, this shit all just needs to stop. I refuse to acknowledge the ALF reboot. Uh-huh. And they're talking okay. about doing doing another Frasier, like a re- not a reboot, but a sequel, I guess. Yeah, that one too. <sighs> I will not acknowledge that 80s TV is being made until they hit the out-of-this-world period. Yes. Anybody else remember that oh show from gosh, 1987 versus me? I loved that show. Exactly! <laughs> that was a great show. Nobody knows about it. It's about a girl who, like, her mom fucked an alien, and then she was the result, and they talked to him through, like, a magical little box that I literally, my mom had a flower pot that I thought was that, and I would talk to it. <laughs> and she could um, stop so- time by putting her fingers together. Exactly. I somehow missed this one. Oh, oh my gosh. It had Donna Pescal, the mom from Even Stevens. Um, but yeah, the point is, is when they remake that, then call me, okay? <laughs> Everything else is just like, eh, I don't care. Um, I want uh-huh. more Small Wonder, too. Thank you very much. <gasps> That's what I was just thinking of. <laughs> Ryan Murphy needs to do that as the next American <laughs> Horror Story. Small Wonder. Because I never believed that Vicky had anything but horrid intentions for humanity. <laughs> Just, just saying, just saying. Um, yeah, but and my three, da- my two dads, my three dads, whatever. Um, where, where's that show? God, Hollywood's not getting to the good, good meat of 1980s television. Okay. Uh, we have one more question. This is from at BC Wallen. Uh, they ask, what's the movie that most recently you haven't been able to stop thinking about? Karen. Mission Impossible Fallout. I was waiting for that. <laughs> So is it just the Tom Cruise running? No. I really loved that movie, and I loved everything about it. I've actually spent a lot of time this week thinking about, like, all the things that Rebecca Ferguson should be in. So, Tom Cruise helps. I'm just got... Cavill and his arm reloading in my head. There, There's all of that. Um, so, uh, Lauren, what, what movie uh, have you been unable to stop thinking about? Uh, I'm just going to use a very, very recent one is Blind Spotting. Yeah. Uh, which I which I got to see after. I actually, I think I got to see it the same day that we recorded the last episode. I watched it again uh, that same day, too. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's just it's such a good film and I, the, the last act just, everything is so impressive up to, up to that point, And then the last act is just devastating and it's so well done and so well acted and, and everything. And I've been thinking about it, um, uh, for the past week. I was just like, wow, that is, I want to, I really do want to see it again. I'm kind of sorry. I'm used movie pass on it the last time. <laughs> um, because it's just such a an intense and searing film, and it, and it's so real. You know, I know that last last week we were talking. Uh, some of you were talking about how the did the humor work, did the humor fit, and watching it with that in mind, I felt that it did because it felt real. It's like we have to we have to keep on going, we have to move on, and that's what you sort of do. You have to find a way to laugh at these things. And to keep on living your life, even though you're in the midst of what's truly something that's truly terrifying and, and that you can't really do anything about. You don't know what's going to happen next. Um, it was just such a well done film. And I'm still like still reeling from it. Can I actually jump in really quick and say something, too, on the subject of blind spotting? Um, so, yeah, last week I was talking about some of the issues that I'd kind of had with it when I saw it back in January. But I saw it again 
last weekend, too, after we had recorded that episode. And it's one of those things I had been intending to, I just hadn't gotten around to it. And so I went and saw it, and my experience the second time was completely different. And I actually, it's the only movie I've ever seen where I wrote a review of it, and I wanted to, like, go back and change my review, because I liked it the first time, but I loved it the second time. And I felt like some of the things that I had originally said, I was just like, I don't agree with that, actually. I don't know what I was thinking when I wrote that, so... Everyone goes to blind spotting. <laughs> um, I I will jump in before we go to Kim and say the blind spotting yes is still in my head. Um, my mom, I took it uh, took my mom to go see it the other day. I think after we recorded, and she was into it and now we quote that movie frequently like I was doing something with a mug and she's like is that your dinosaur mug that you made in the fifth grade and I was like no mom it's not um (laughs) so I I still I still think the movie is just seeing it the second time just made me double down on how amazing it is um and and I'm still I'm with Lauren I don't know which which of the two guys in that movie I love more it's very hard (laughs) oh god they're both really hot (laughs) My my like, mom, my mom watched it and I told her I'm like so Rafael Casal like he's hot right and she's like I get too many Eminem vibes from him and I was like <laughs> okay so I'm done with you we're gonna go over here well that that performance could have been so could have so easily gone bad like it could have because he's very you know it's very brash he's very like flamboyant and and everything and that's part of the point of his character but. You know, you believe him, and you and you feel some of the things that he's feeling, and I I like the the shifting of perspective, and and it, I have to say it was interesting watching it as a white person, and seeing that shift of perspective, and being forced to take the perspective, um, and to understand the relationship between these two men, and to take the perspective of a black man, and in these kinds of situations, because the film really makes you feel it, and it's something that as as a middle-class white woman, I have never felt like that. I just, that's not a part of my life, my lived experience. So um, I think it's a very important film for that reason, because we have to have those, those two dynamics, those two perspectives that are constantly playing with each other and are existing in the same world. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. You guys, everybody should go see it. Kim, <laughs> what, movie have you, what movie have you been uh, unable to stop thinking about? Well, I'm going to have to cheat this a little bit. And my movie viewing has been really slow the past couple of weeks. Actually, since Comic-Con, and it's it's a TV answer, but um, Man in the High Castle. They finally dropped, I think, a teaser and a release date. And, you know, I'm very much representing my brand here. Uh, my boy Rupert Evans coming back for, you know, hopefully we left it on a cliffhanger. But I've been waiting for this season three for, I think it's two freaking years. Amazon has made me wait. And I think we finally have word on season three and season four. So I am been stoked and giddy about that and ready to go. Awesome. So moving on to some reviews. Um, you guys wanted to talk Castle Rock. I'm not watching. So I will let you guys talk amongst yourselves. <laughs> You are missing out, Kristen Lopez. I have, I should have we, time. Should we just start with the most obvious, you know, fuckable <laughs> Satan? Should we just start there? Fuckable <laughs> maybe Satan. He might be Satan, but he's our Satan. He's <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh my gosh. Like this that's, show... that's it. That's the show. That's <laughs> yeah. Like I don't even know what to say other than that, but um I do actually really find Andre Holland really cute too. But um I just it's I love the way that they I don't feel overwhelmed by the Stephen King Easter eggs. No. I actually really I. love looking for them because it's just like, you know, it's not right in your face all the time. It's stuff like a newspaper clipping about a rabid dog, you know, and it's like, oh, I know what that is, but it's not like focus, like forcing you to focus on it necessarily. And the show itself is just so intriguing. I'm really dying to know where this is headed. And the last two minutes of the fourth episode, I, my jaw was just hanging open the entire time. I was like, I that, can't believe this that is broke right my now. little heart. <laughs> it did, and I yeah. just was like, I have to know what is happening. So. Yeah, it's a it's a great show, and I have to. I've read some Stephen King books. I haven't read tons of his books, but I know that there are a number of people online who've been like listing the references and everything. And I guess a number of the character names and backstories and stuff like that are actually references to Stephen King, which I had no idea about. But I think that that, as you say, speaks to the quality of the show. That it doesn't matter. I don't feel lost. I don't feel like I don't understand what's happening because I don't understand all of these references. Um, yeah, it's just so well done and it creates that, that undercurrent of menace and, um, not being totally certain what is happening. You know that something horrible is going to happen, but you're not certain what it will be or when it will happen or who it will happen to. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and the performances are great. Like I, I can't pinpoint anyone who's, I mean, you've got the sort of bigger actors like, um, Andre Holland and uh, and Bill Skarsgård and Sissy Spacek, uh, but then all everybody else is just like very very strong. It's well directed. It's well written. Uh, it, it's interesting. You care about the characters that you've met, which is why those last two minutes of the last episode are so devastating. Uh, it's just, it's a really well done show. I'm, ex- I'm excited and I'm also a little scared that it's going to go off the rails at some point and disappoint me. If Ryan Murphy was directing this, I would not trust it at all. But the fact that he's not, I'm like, okay, I'm going to give this a shot. <laughs> well, see, I have to go writer nerd on it because, I mean, the King tie-ins aside, I got pulled in because um, it's Sam Shaw and Dustin Thomason to make sure I get his name right. And they brought, they were two of the, Sam Shaw created Manhattan and Thomason was on it and then they've pulled in a bunch of the Manhattan writing crew on there and that just as soon as I saw that I was ecstatic because that's I think I've talked about it on the show before that's still one of my favorites so having that group kind of in the main day-to-day writing it excites me and it's lived up to every I mean this pacing I would say is absolutely slow burn to the point of just driving me insane because I want more (laughs) Yeah, well, not it's because it's boring. It's because it's like I just need more of this. I need, need more. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you bunch but, of TV crack addicts. No, but, it, but it, <laughs> I, I mean, it's it's like it is like you know, it's it's definitely television. It's definitely episodic. But there also is a, a through arc. You know, we're building to something. Um, and there's also some really great horror moments. There, there's one where it's, I think that uh, is the character's name Molly. She's going upstairs and she's got she she hears something in the house. And she's going upstairs and there's just a wonderful jump scare. And it was just really good. And I'm like, I know it's coming. There's something horrible is going to happen. I know it's coming. I know it's coming. And then it it hits very briefly and then it's gone. 
And it didn't um, feel cheap. That jump scare yeah, did exactly. not feel cheap. Yeah, it, it, it was leading up to something. And you know that that's going to come back. You know that those mm-hmm. elements are going to come back. This is not just like a one-off, we're going to scare you and move on. And I, I'm not a huge fan of Stephen King's writing, but that is one thing that he can do very well, is that he can create those scenes of horror that are actually also part of the bigger picture of the story. That it isn't just, I want to scare you because I want to scare you. It's like, no, this has meaning for, for the rest of the narrative. And I'm I'm thrilled because I'm not a huge King aficionado. I mean, I've seen a good a good chunk of the film adaptations, but I think I've read in terms of books. I think I've read The Shining and Salem's Lot, and I was worried going into this that I'd feel completely lost in a sea of you know references and Easter eggs I didn't get. But yeah, I'm. It's so cool to me that they're managing to drop all those things in but not have it feel overpowering. Well, and it's funny because I've actually read a lot of Stephen King and. It doesn't feel, uh, like I was saying, it doesn't feel like it's just all about trying to get as many references in as possible. I feel like it's very masterfully woven in. So You're missing out, Kristen. You Sam are. Shaw. Love to Sam Shaw again. I am he, I am a writing fangirl for him, and <laughs> I am ecstatic it's as good as this is as good as it's proving out to be. And Bill Skarsgård. Like, please, people, yeah. please stop saying that you want to fuck Pennywise the Clown. Watch this instead Just, and have a better reason to love him. Oh, that that <laughs> character made me you. understand that all of a sudden. I didn't get Pennywise, but Pennywise. I'm watching this going, oh, yeah. <laughs> Pennywise or no, I don't don't get him. I, he's No, I'm, I'm not convinced that's a man that's going to murder you in your sleep. And that's without the makeup. Yeah. I just naturally think that, you know what, that's going to happen. So I'm, I'm good. I'm over Yes, here. but he'll just I'm, be so sweet I'm doing with Lauren it. on the, what Lauren said on the Slack. Fuckable may be Satan for the win. Yep. <laughs> See, yeah, I, I, I don't know if I go for the satanic thing. I just, like, go for douchebags, okay? So it's like the real world equivalent of Satan, only not nearly as smart. Well, um, so there's I, that. I think, I think someone... <laughs> I forget where I saw this on Twitter, so I apologize to, to whoever I'm quoting here. But someone was talking about that they really wanted to see Bill Skarsgård in, like, a romantic comedy. But, <laughs> oh, yeah. one, but one in which he, like, everybody thinks that he's a serial killer, but he's really just this nice guy who's being really sweet to, like, the girl that he wants to date. That would and, be a and, that, and that's the entire arc of the romantic comedy is that, like, all of her friends think he's think he's going to, like, kill her, and he just shows up with flowers. And it's being really sweet. It's like, oh, no, I'm making dinner for you. And he's holding a really sharp knife. Is the entire soundtrack going to be composed of, like, (laughs) ominous satanic chanting? Because, like, that... (laughs) Like, seriously. Because I retweeted that, and I'm trying to find it. It Yeah, it was this whole, like, hilarious thing about, like, every time he's trying to do something sweet, they think that, oh, this is the moment where one of us is going to die. And, like, there's this, like, in this this tweet, too, like, there's a scene where... um, where the friends are all talking about how he's going to kill them, but he walks in, he's like, hey, everybody want lunch? You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's just So, yeah. while Karen finds the tweet, um, okay. there were two new releases that at least two of us saw. Um, so, let's talk about talk about things that make me want to, yeah, things that I'm sure are murderous. Christopher Robin. Uh, <laughs> this is the, the Disney movie that came out that tells uh, about Christopher Robin, not Milne, because that's where we drew the line at storytelling, apparently, uh, played by Ewan McGregor, reconnects with the toys that he left behind as a child and learns how to be a better dad and blah, blah, blah. Um, I went into this with low expectations. 
Um, I like Winnie the Pooh, but I'm not crazy over it. Um, and I don't really like Disney's mentality now that we have to include humans in order for people to relate to them. Um, my biggest problem with this movie is that it's an hour and 45 minutes. It's incredibly boring. Um, it's directed by Mark Forrester. So if you've seen Finding Neverland, then you've seen this movie. Um, or if you've seen The Man Who Invented Christmas last year, if you've seen Hook, if you've seen Saving Mr. Banks, you've seen Christopher Robin because it's the same story. Um, and, and that was kind of my thing. I, I loved when it was about Pooh and, and his friends. The photorealism looks beautiful. The voice cast is so good. Um, especially Brad Garrett, who's Eeyore, and um, Jim Cummings, who's been the voice of Pooh since the 80s. Um, I really like that. I didn't need a story about grown-up Christopher Robin trying to find his inner child so he can save his luggage company and meanwhile learn how that that people work better if they can afford to go on vacation, um, preferably to Disneyland. I thought the wink at the camera was um, Haley Atwell needs to leave Disney behind because they keep misusing her horribly misusing her in these movies. Um, oh, and yeah, the real Milne's daughter was disabled and they took quote unquote artistic liberties um, and made her able-bodied. So that irked me overall though. It was just boring. I didn't care for it. Um, if you have small children, they're probably going to be bored because it's not quite a poo movie. It's poo and a bunch of other people. Um, so I thought it was boring. Ka- Karen, I know you thought it was cute. Yeah, I thought it was cute and sweet. I do agree that it's not for very young children because it does deal with a lot of, like, um, elements that I think four- and five-year-olds wouldn't really understand or care about. But, um, but yeah, I, I thought it was very sweet. I, I also had very low expectations going in, and I just, I really... I, what I loved about Pooh and the way that he's presented in this movie with human people um, is that he was innocent. He's not stupid. He's not a dumb. You know, he's not dumb. He's just very innocent and sweet and just full of love. And so, were there things that this movie could have done better? Oh, hell yeah. I mean, I didn't really know anything about the Milne family until you were talking about it after. I never saw Goodbye Christopher Robin or anything, so I didn't... I just went into this like, oh, it's a, you know, Winnie the Pooh version of Hook. Um, And so I... Approaching it like that, I was able to just enjoy it for the movie that it is. I completely agree with you about Haley Atwell. Uh, I was very disappointed in how little she had to do in the film she barely is in it and the stuff that she has is just like wait you've got Haley Atwell here and this is how you're using her this isn't this isn't cool so um so I definitely agree with that in fact I think that uh both uh wife and daughter were very underutilized and could have been developed more but overall I think that if you're just looking for something that's just just sweet and nostalgic. I think that this movie, I think, works for most people. People that have hearts, unlike Kristen Lopez. Um, I, I'm going to retort with that. If you're looking for something incredibly basic at the end of summer, you can't do worse than this movie, so there's that. Um, I think there's another movie that we both have... We don't have wildly different thoughts on it, but I think I'm a bit more effusive in my thoughts than you are. Um, you and I both saw The Spy Who Don't Me. Yes. We both saw it last week when they did screenings because 
Um, we and both they did paid to see this ahead we of time did. so that we could review it. We did. They did not do press screenings um, for this movie. And I think that's a shame because, again, there are way worse movies that, that get screened at press screenings that are way worse than this movie. Um, Christopher Robin's screen. I thought this, I thought Spy Who Down Me was better than Christopher Robin. Um, so this is directed by Susanna Fogel, tells the story of a, a woman played by Mila Kunis who discovers that her ex-boyfriend is a spy and then gets wrapped up in having to go to Vienna to, um, I guess, hand off a, a MacGuffin um, and learns about herself in the process alongside her best friend played by Kate McKinnon. Um, you and I both said in our reviews that we we could see men hating this, flat out hating it. And that seems to be the consensus if you look at Rotten Tomatoes. Um, many women are saying this is, you know, it's, it's decent. It's got some chuckles. Um, men are saying this is awful. Um, I was telling everybody, this is like, it's not quite Paul... Is it Fig or Feig? I'm always going to pronounce Feig. it wrong. It's the Feig. E is first, so it's Feig. Okay. Uh, it's not Paul Feig level, but you can see where it wants to be. Um, and I I was for it. You know, this movie doesn't always sail. The script doesn't always land with the jokes. But when it does, it's really funny, particularly Kate McKinnon, who is just a comedic queen. Um, I loved everything about her character. Um, she plays Morgan, the the peppy best friend, who's like, even when they're running from stuff, she's like, I just want you to know you're my best friend. I'm really proud of you. And I'm so glad we're doing this. <laughs> um, I loved their friendship. I believed their friendship. Um, and I loved her parents who are played by Paul Reiser and Jane Curtin. They're great. Um, again, very similar to my own dynamic with my mother is, is Kate McKinnon and her parents. Um, Mila Kunis is the straight woman, you know, so she's just kind of the lovable loser that you don't really buy works at Trader Joe's. I'm sorry, if I, I, I've been in a Trader Joe's. I didn't see anybody look like Mila Kunis. Um, but, but you go to solid. the wrong Trader Joe's then. Uh, <laughs> apparently, yeah. Apparently I go to the one where all the less than hot people work. Um, I'm just there to buy cookies and cookie butter, though, so I don't really care what the uh, employees look like. Um, so, I, I mean, she's she's good. She's good. The guy from Outlander is always going to be discount Henry Cavill to me. I don't care what you all say about how he has a beard on Outlander and he's hot. I don't care. Um, he's he's perfectly serviceable. Um, again, Justin Theroux's really leaning into that whole girl on a train, I'm a dick mentality. And he sings in this movie, which was hilarious to me because it's just not good. Uh, <laughs> but I, I had fun with this. I had a lot of fun with this. And, you know... In a, in a time where we talk so much about what we hate, I was very happy to just see a movie that had some chuckles, had some really batshit weird plot twists, like the, the script for this movie. Some of the character decisions are just bizarre, but I was kind of down with it. I don't know. I Maybe I've just been so disappointed by comedies this year or something. I thought this was, this was cute, fun. It was fun. Yeah, I think that... So first of all, comedy is very subjective. And yes. so the fact that some people, it was like I've even had some women tell me this week, like, oh, I didn't find it funny at all. Okay, well, that's that's fine. There's nothing yeah. wrong with that. Like, everybody laughs at different things. But, um, but this movie, I found it, there were some parts that I was laughing very loud <laughs> and very hard. Like, it's There is a Balzac <laughs> joke in this movie <laughs> that is, is just brilliant. hilarious. Yes. Um, and it's, there are some just really great moments, but for me, even, even 
with the parts that are like just kind of meandering and it's just kind of like okay this definitely is not on the level of like spy for example um but it's still just a fun movie to watch and i think that people should go out and celebrate the fact that it's a a violent action comedy with two women in the leading roles like you usually don't get such violent movies with women Yeah, where they're actually able to... Like, that's the thing. I notice this a lot in action movies. When women are given guns, they're often not able to shoot, or it's by accident that they kill something. Um, You know, I think of something like Game Night, you know, with with Rachel McAdams, like, accidentally shooting people, which is still funny, but... Oh, yeah, hilarious. Yeah, but here, like, the characters don't know how to shoot, but she knows video games. And and so they are able to shoot things. Kate McKinnon kills several people in this movie <laughs> and it's all hilarious but it's the fact that these women are able to take care of themselves um maybe not as spies but they are able to they are equipped with intelligence yeah like they don't know what they're doing and they don't know who to trust but they they figure stuff out and they're not dumb that's the thing they're not dumb yeah, there there is some a, a lot of weird violence in this movie. Like there's a scene with an Uber driver or whatever the uh, <laughs> European equivalent is that is just gory. And I was like, I I'm kind of down for this because we don't often see women in situations like that where there's like violence and like there's so much arm breaking in this movie. Oh my gosh, um, so many broken arms. So many broken arms. I was like, okay. Um, and and that's kind of the 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 joke of this movie is that you expect it to be the men. I mean, the movie opens with Justin Thoreau showing why he's not Jason Bourne. Um, and that's okay. Although he does hit a man with a sausage. And I was sitting there giggling to myself thinking, do you think he suggested that? Or was that already in the script? Um, but, but yeah, I, I thought it was, I thought it was a lot of fun. And Gillian Anderson is also in this movie and she's always fantastic. Um, I want a movie with her and Kate McKinnon doing oh, something yeah well did i was reading something it was a, an interview a few days ago where it was talking about how kate mckinnon said that she, jillian anderson was her first crush yeah i have read that <laughs> and i was just like oh my gosh that's so awesome that because she totally gets to like fangirl her in the movie <laughs> It's yeah, I I was so, exactly everything with her and Julian Anderson is like she's so happy that the head of this whole organization is a woman. Um, and that's the thing that I really liked about the script, uh, which is co-written by Susanna Fogel, um, is that there's this awareness of what women aren't allowed to do in film. And we're going to comment on it. Thank you. Women can be villains, too. Women can be terrorists, too. According <laughs> oh, to yeah. Kate. Sorry, that's what it was. Women can be terrorists. Women can be terrorists. And the whole third act of this movie, which I was sitting there thinking, oh, it's got to come down to this whole, like, am I a woman if I don't have a boyfriend type of mentality? Um, Again, because it's Justin Theroux, and he makes you think about all these things. Like, if you don't jump on him, you're going to die an old cobwebby maid. Um, But but it it sends even that up, too. And I was I think I think it was Kate Hallowell tweeted something about how this is just the leftovers. It's it's all about how Justin Theroux ruins things and then gaslights you. (laughs) I was like, oh, it is. It is. Um, I, I did talk to the screenwriter really briefly on Twitter about how I was like so sequel idea all girl gang you get Mila Kunis and Kate McKinnon back you get Emily Blunt and Rebecca Ferguson who's already played a spy okay 
and they have to take out Justin Thoreau and Ant out. It would be great. It would be great. Um, so if they take that idea, I will just just let me hang on set. You don't have to let me do pay me. Just let me hang out on set. Um, so yeah, uh, it's it's worth seeing if you have Movie Pass. I would say um, if it's still around by the time this episode comes out. Um, Lauren, you are still in the throes of Fantasia Fest. You want to give us a brief rundown before we close out? Uh, no, Fantasia Fest has actually ended finally. Ooh, okay, it's like one of the longest film festivals. Uh, I just wanted to give a shout. I saw. I always have seen good films with with Fantasia Fest, and this is another time that, like, I don't think there there's not been a single film that I've disliked that I've watched. Um, but one of the big ones that I really hope that it comes out in the United States that it gets a proper release. It's been floating around since like 2017, um, and this is one of Guillermo del Toro's favorite films right now. So that that says something about the quality of this movie is a movie called Tigers Are Not Afraid, uh, which is directed by a female Mexican director, um, is entirely made up of a cast of uh, children, and almost entirely, there are like three adults, I think, in the entire movie, and all of them are not good. Um, and is basically about uh, a group of children who are living on the streets in a city that is run by a violent cartel, and it combines the it's very it's very reminiscent of early del toro but it's also very much it's its own thing um and it combines magical realism with uh the you know the reality of the world that these kids are living in and and it overlaps things like um mythology and fairy tales and um and the real violence that these kids are experiencing and how they survive it, basically. It's an excellent film. Like, if it comes anywhere near you, if you hear about it, if you're like, someone offers you a screener, watch it. It really is a great movie. Uh, and, yeah, props to Fantasia Fest for always getting some interesting stuff. And for this year in particular, getting a lot of diversity and a lot of... Um, particularly female directors. I have seen loads of films by female directors from uh, many different countries. And yeah. Yay. <laughs> and all of her coverage is still on our website, citizendamepod.com if you want to catch up on it. Um, so what does everybody have on tap for this week in terms of screenings? I'm going to see the Meg on Monday. <laughs> I'm that makes to... two of us. <laughs> oh, I on Monday I'm going to see Black Klansman. So, yeah, um, that seems not fair. <laughs> I'm I'm set up for Black Klansman also. Uh, <laughs> okay, you know I get stuck with the giant fucking shark movie. I want to. See I'm not two. sorry. I want to see both of them. <laughs> yeah. Um, the last giant shark movie I saw was Deep Blue Sea, and. I figured that would be the end of this trend, but apparently it's not. So, but that's uh, not Jason great. Statham. I don't I, want Jason Statham. I my mom my mom is still giving me guff. She's like, "What's easier for you to believe in a film that Jason Statham is a scientist or that Josh Brolin played a doctor?" And I was like, "That's mean on so many levels right now." But the correct answer is that Jason Statham played a scientist. <laughs> I, am, I am there for Jason Statham doing anything. I watched yeah, Crank exactly. too. Damn it. <laughs> Exactly, Jason. So I don't know why anyone would not be excited for Jason Statham punching a shark in the face. Exactly. <laughs> this just seems to be the episode where Chrissy just doesn't get it. I just don't I think. think. Every episode, but yeah. <laughs> and as long as the Meg is halfway as bad as it looks, I am well, so it's stoked. It's supposed to be campy. It's not trying to be serious. Exactly. 
Okay, but, th- but the Meg is short, right? Like, it's like a 90-minute movie. It's not going to make me sit there with Jason Statham for two hours, right? It's not going to let he you takes sit off there his for shirt, two hours. It's an hour and 53 minutes? Ah. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> okay, so my best friend has made me see two rock movies this year and a fucking Jason Statham shark movie, and only one of them was under two hours. We're going to have a talk later when, when I see her. Um, so, yeah, you can, you can find us. All over the internet, you can listen to Citizen Dame on uh, Podbean, uh, citizendame.podbean.com, iTunes, or Spotify. Um, if you listen on iTunes, please consider helping us out and leaving uh, a rating of five stars and or a review, um, whatever tickles your fancy. Um, you can visit our official website, citizendamepod.com, and see all sorts of awesome writing by the gang. Lauren has her Fantasia Fest coverage up there. I am going to be hard at work this week. Actually, maybe next week. It's coming, okay? It's going to happen on the next installment of my Brolin with the Homies uh, series. We also have the show notes up there and Kim's Feminist Friday. And we're going to be bringing back our regular series, What I Did for Love, starting um, once Lauren is recovered from Fantasia Fest. Um, She's going to be reviewing Casino Royale, the 1960s version. So that should be um, pretty awesome to see. Um, anything else we need to promote other than Patreon? I think that's it. Um, and if you want to help the, po- uh, the podcast out more and get access to really fun supplemental material, you can become a patron at our Patreon page, which is patreon.com slash citizen dame. We have all sorts of stuff already up there, including Karen and I's, um, Sicario audio commentary, which is pretty funny, um, as well as our boyfriend draft. We have some more stuff coming up soon, including uh, an all Jeff Goldblum centric episode. That was not. Dis- I mean, I I suggested it because I know they they are into it. So yeah, you suggested it. You don't get to complain about it. I know. Like, oh, I, know. I suggested it, but how dare they? I know. I, know. I tried to be nice. <laughs> uh, and we're just a couple dollars away from uh, making Karen Peterson watch the Guy Ritchie version of The Man from Uncle. Um, which she has never seen, and me and Kim love it, and Karen or Lauren is um, a hater of all things awesome, and she doesn't like it, but it's been a long time since she's seen it, so she might revise her opinions, correct? Yeah, might. Yeah, might, okay. Or so I, might just, that. I might just decide to be contrarian and just she's be like, no, be I hate it. Okay, so, so there's all of that. Come on, don't you want to hear us talk about Man from U.N.C.L.E.? It's amazing. It's gay as hell, but it's played completely straight. Um, four more dollars, people. The cost four more dollars. And we will have a special guest. We will have a special guest on the podcast. Um, and, and Karen will have got to see it, and then she'll get all of our references. Um, so there's that. Um, so you can go over to patreon.com slash citizen dame to learn more and also be sure to follow all of us individually on our uh, Twitters. I am at journeys underscore film. Karen, where are you? I am at Karen M. Peterson. And Lauren. I am at LH Business. And Kimberly. At KPR624. We'll be back next week. Hopefully there will be less garbage men and... I will have more saucy jokes that hopefully my mom will never, ever hear. (laughs) So we are the Citizen Dames, and we'll be back next week. Bye. I don't trust anyone anymore. You trust me, though, right? Yes, of course I trust you. You don't count. Okay, good, because this is not some fake spy friendship that the Russians put together. Dude, shut up. I know. 
Okay, Drew said that if we don't deliver this package, a lot of people are gonna die. What if we don't do it and then there's like a terrorist attack or something? Well, what did he say to do? We have to get it to a cafe in Vienna. Austria, Vienna? Yes, that's what he said. Okay, well, why don't we do that then? Do you what? Go to Europe when a bunch of people are trying to kill us? Do you want to die having never been to Europe? Or do you want to go to Europe and die having been to Europe? Why are those my only two options?